Hello and welcome to the first of my interviews for Punks in Suits. In this conversation I talk with Kay Sargent. Now Kay is an expert in workplace. She's been working in this field for decades. Uh, she's based in Washington DC in the United States and she spends her days working with clients on workplace strategy and design. So she was the perfect person for me to talk to about the future of work through the lens of the workplace. You know, when people come up to me after I've given a speech or, you know, we're at a conference, they always want to know, how do we make remote working and hybrid working work? And I don't have a simple answer. In this conversation, we explore what Kay thinks about that topic and through looking at work through the lens of work as a place, touch on a lot of the topics that are going to be covered later on in this book. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, fantastic to see you. It's so great to have this opportunity to talk to you about something that, you know, compared with some of the topics um, that I'm covering in this book and in the interviews that I'm doing with people uh, that are finding interesting in this space, the, the, the subject of where we work and how we work in those physical places isn't, isn't my expertise. But I do feel strongly about it because it, it is so much part of people's experience of work. The, the physical space in which they work seems to make a massive difference. Um, so let's start with, with sort of primary question to you, which is what is the problem with the modern office? Well, I, I don't know if it's as much of a problem with the modern office. So, so let's just say this. Uh, we tend to loop everything into big buckets. Some offices are absolutely fabulous and incredible and are real magnets and places that people want to be. Other ones are not so great. And I think what we're seeing right now is a flight to quality. People want better spaces. They expect amenities. They expect services. They expect... Um, you know, access to natural daylight and options and choices and all of those things. And for offices that are providing those types of spaces, there isn't much of a problem. For offices that aren't, it might be a little bit more of a drudgery. But I think there are other factors at play here, like the commute, like are we able to find spaces where we can be focused and quiet, like the fact that we are working longer and harder hours and it's becoming a little bit more unsustainable for people. So there are multiple factors at play. And I think right now the real estate world is getting set up for failure. People are looking at, at people in the built environment world and saying, I need you to create an office that's so amazing. Everybody will want to be there. But it's not just about that. I can design the most amazing office on the planet. If your policies and your procedure and your culture and your leaders, you know, aren't there and things aren't in place, then it's not going to be a great place. So there's a variety of factors and we really need to start thinking about this more holistically if we want to get to better solutions. So has this, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but has this been brought very much into view because of the pandemic and, and you know, people's, a lot of people being enforced remote workers, or was this around before? 
I think to some degree it was around before. I think, you know, very few companies had official remote policies. Uh, several of them that had remote policies over the years have failed because of how they implemented it or uh, the lack of rigor around how they did that. But the pandemic basically forced everyone to go work remotely and not just for a short period. I think if this had only lasted a month or two, we would be in a very, very different situation. This lasted long enough that people were forced to adapt, to adjust, and then they built new routines and they got into a new rhythm and a new way of working. And I, and I don't think people dislike change as much as they hate transitions. And once you get rooted in something to transition back to something else is painful. Yeah, I'm curious about this. So, you know, I, I'm very often asked to speak at conferences about how to make hybrid working work from a leadership perspective. You know, how, how do we make people come into the office? How do we stay connected with those people that are at any particular time working from home or from some other space? And I always think that it's not quite the right question. That feels like the sort of presenting issue when the true question is something deeper than that. Is that where you come from as well? It's not really about creating office place, office spaces and even office experiences that make people want to leave their house. It's about something more fundamental. Yeah, I think there's... Uh, look, I, I think the problem is that we're assuming that everybody is the exact same and everybody's doing the same kind of work and that's just not true. And anybody that is talking right now about like, well, we can all do this or we can all do that. You know, to me, it's disqualifying right off the bat because we're assuming that everybody is just like us. There's a whole lot of people that say nobody ever needs to go to the office. Everybody can work remotely. And that's just not true. And, and you know, the people that are saying everybody needs to, you know, to be in the office because, you know, that's the way that we work. That's also just not true. And so we basically have developed kind of 12 key points or considerations that we think are critical. And quite frankly, only five of them really have to do with space. But here are the 12, if you'll indulge me, and I'll give you our list of 12. The first one is determine what kind of work people are actually doing. Do they really need to be, where do they really need to be and what kind of space do they need when they're doing that work? And, and we need to address not only the best place to do it, but the best time to do it. The second one is we need to make real estate adjustments to not only optimize the space, but to make the space more enticing and more fit to purpose. The third one is we really need to create a more sustainable ecosystem of options and choices. One size misfits all doesn't cut it anymore. We need to give people options and choices because we're diverse. The fourth one is you got to have protocols and guidelines that really kind of help support distributed work. If we do not put things in place that will offset proximity bias or uh, you know, equality in meetings, it's gonna go awry really quickly. The fifth one is we gotta retrain managers to manage by performance, not by presence. And we need to think about how are we creating more equitable and inclusive engagements. The sixth one is we got to think about physical, emotional, health, safety, and well-being. In the beginning, people didn't want to come back because some people didn't feel safe. Uh, now, some people don't want to come back because it's like way too loud, and they've been sitting in, in you know a, a quiet chamber for two and a half years. So, we have to address those things 
that help us function well and feel safe and, and address our well-being. The seventh one is no longer does shoving the biggest rectangular table in a room cut it anymore. We really need to rethink what are we coming together for when we do come together and create spaces that are more impactful, functional, and meaningful. Not just, you know, these crappy meeting rooms that we've been giving people forever don't cut it. Number eight, we have to focus not just on productivity, but on innovation and the quality of what is being produced. So get people out of this multitasking mode where they're sitting on Zoom calls all day, trying to do multiple things at once and the quality of what they're producing is kind of crappy, quite frankly. And we need to get people like engaged in a different way. The ninth is we need to have ample opportunities for teaming, rebuilding social capital and community because people have feel disconnected and they wanna have a sense of belonging. The 10th is we need to figure out how do we communicate with our team and be really intentional about that because you, know, you can't say something in, in a room, but then people that are working remotely, you know, they hear it through rumor or they hear it some other way. So we need to really think about how are we communicating. We need to rethink recruiting, onboarding, professional development to make sure that whether you're on-site or off-site, whether you're new or experienced, you have a meaningful experience. And then we need to embrace testing and we need to understand that we're in the middle of an evolving situation and we're gonna to have to test some things out and we're gonna to have to be pretty flexible with what's working and what's not. Yeah. So let's dive into a couple of those. In particular, this idea of why we come together. And I think, you know, I've heard the, this word gathering many times since, but I think it was from you that I heard it first. How is gathering different to what we normally think of in terms of maybe meeting or, you know, just sitting in the office next to yeah. someone? So we're actually about to launch a whole um, uh, thought leadership piece on that. You know, I, I think that there are really, what we've come to is nine different types of meetings. There's, there can be meetings where you're going to listen to somebody pitch to you, or you're, uh, you know, you're listening to a sales pitch. There are meetings that are about innovation and collaboration. There are meetings that are about one-to-one -one mentoring or coaching. Okay. And so we really need to dig into what is actually happening and then design the room for that. If I want to have an ideation session, we want people to roll up their sleeves and you know, put things up and ideate and everybody's equal, having a big rectangular table filling the majority of the room really doesn't facilitate that. Or if I want to have a one-on-one -on -one private conversation with you, again, sitting in a room where you feel like you're in the principal's office doesn't facilitate that. So we need to really think about what kinds of meetings people are having. Should they be in open space, semi-enclosed or in um, private spaces? And then what are the tools? Uh, what is the duration of that meeting? Is it formal or is it, is it casual? Is it high participation or low participation? There's a whole series of things that we need to evaluate to come to the right decisions. Yeah. One of the things that I uh, that I find so nice about being at home, I mean, I love to get out and about. I love to go and see my clients in, in their offices and, and travel around. But one of the things I like about 
my home office that is that I can create the environment that works really well for me, which wouldn't necessarily be the right environment, as you say, for for somebody else. How can organizations, facilities, teams, the people who are thinking about culture, how can they make sure that there are environments where everyone can be happy? You know, one person, speaking as a middle-aged woman, sometimes I'm very hot. Now, the other person next to me might not be feeling hot. How do we we create an environment that, that is so adaptable? Yeah, so here's what I would say. Should the should the space adapt or should we? Okay. And here's one of the fallacies. Um, I think for a long time, we've designed space like we're potted plants. We go, we sit in one space and everything is supposed to adjust us. But the bottom line is that we are the only thing that is flexible in any environment. We have legs, we can move around, we can do whatever. And so the sun moves. So should we? There are natural hotspots in a building at different times of the day. If you had the option and choice to move to different spaces, you could do that, right? And if you had an app that would tell you, let's say you're sitting someplace and and it's getting too loud for you and you're getting too hot and you're not near your colleagues, but you could pull up on the app and say, okay, on on, you know, maybe a few rows over and across, there's a spot that's cooler and quieter and one of your other colleagues is sitting there, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to go do that, right? So empowering us with that information that we're already collecting to put that in the hands of individuals so that they can make better choices because we can never make a a building that is the perfect temperature for everyone. But there are natural fluctuations within people and in buildings and we just need to marry them up. Yeah, I really love that because, you know, I remember a, a team meeting that I ran some time ago and I asked, what is the biggest tension uh, in this in this team? And it was the music. So what music they listened to, whether they listened to music at all. It was an IT team. So a lot of people w- did want to listen to music, but other people did not. Um, you know, what kind of music, when, how loud, uh, you know. And that was one of the biggest tensions between them because, of course, no one solution could make everybody happy. One of the things I really like about what you're talking about is how we use technology to solve some of these really human issues. What other, what other tech, how else can tech help us here? I think technology actually can, can do wonders for us. I think one of the, the problems right now is that we aren't leveraging it to the fullest extent. And part of that is that there's so many different options right now that it can be a little overwhelming. So if if we think about, um, like think about your car, okay? Most of our cars have a better tech experience than we do in our workplaces. You know, our cars, you can have a fob that tells you who is the driver. And then when you get in, everything automatically adjusts to your preset preferences, whether, uh, you know, your music can play, the temperature, the, the position of the mirrors, the seat, the steering column, even your phone can sync with the dashboard. We get to our offices and we're all crawling around on the floor trying to find an outlet under our desk, right? We have not leveraged technology nearly to the fullest extent. And I think part of the reason why is because it's overwhelming and it's changing so quickly that people are, they don't know when to dive in. And so they kind of just are hesitating to do that. They're not. Uh, but technology can also help with diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So there's a lot of people 
that may want to hear have a meeting recorded or closed captions. In fact, the number of people that prefer to see closed captions is like 70%. And it's not just for people that are hearing, it's for people that, you know, more visual processors of information versus audible. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways that technology really can empower us and we're not leveraging it to the fullest extent right now, but we could and, and should do so. What's one of the reasons for that? And I might be a little cynical here, but when we were coming out of the pandemic and a lot of organizations were saying, listen, you know, so many people are at home um, for such a large proportion of the time, we don't need as much office space as we used to. So we can save money on that. And that was a big bonus for a lot of organizations. My view was, well, hang on a minute. All that's happened is you've taken the cost of real estate out of your budget, but you've forced your employees to assume the cost of that, the, the, suit, the cost of energy, a bigger house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it, right. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> And energy costs yeah. and heating and all yeah. of that other stuff. I yeah. mean, honestly, I, I, it's really kind of surprising to me. You know, it, initially, a lot of people were saying, well, this is so great because we're not on the car. You know, we're not on the road. The number of, of, of um, Amazon and delivery cars that are on the road now uh, to bring things to people's houses has gone up exponentially during the pandemic. So we're, we just flipped it, right? And your office building is probably still functioning, whether you're there or not, but your house now is running, you know, you're running more electricity and more things. And most of our houses aren't as energy as efficient as our buildings. So spending more times in spaces that aren't as energy as efficient actually is having an, an adverse effect. And it's pushing that cost to the individual, right? But you're also saving, you're not having to drive to the office, you're not maybe having to buy your lunch, um, Except I got to tell you, grocery, you know, you're still paying for lunch, you're buying it and you're, it's just a different way. It may not be as expensive, but you're still doing it. Um, but there, I think there's a lot of things. People are also talking about like your clothes allowance and you know, yeah. maybe you're not buying suits. I mean, one of the things, exactly. That, that is true. But one of the things that occurs to me is, you know, what we discovered shouldn't have been news to us but of course not everyone has a house where they can have a dedicated space that is their office Absolutely. and so younger people or people who are working in urban air or live in urban areas working from their kitchen table or working from their bedroom and and so over time potentially this is going to change the housing market as well that people are going to be saying well we can't just buy you know we've got two kids and there's two of us, we can't just buy a three bed house. We need a five bed house because my partner and I both work from home. So then that is also a, an additional cost that is passed on to people. So do, do you think that, is there a net extra expense to individuals, to employees? And do companies need to look at a different, through a different lens when they're thinking about the costs versus the savings of flexible and remote working. Well, yeah, and think about people that live in places like New York City, where, you know, you don't have a lot of options or choices, or you think about people that, you know, younger generation that has multiple generations um, in, you know, that, that live together and are roommates. I mean, this was a real, real struggle at the beginning of the pandemic for several of our employees. We had you know, we had people that, that were roommates together and they were both trying to be on calls at the exact same time. And, you know, it's really hard to look professional when you're sitting at the end of your bed 
um, you know, and everything else is in the background. And not everybody does have, you know, an extra room in their house where they can really do that. I mean, this is part of the reason why in Asia, they went back to, to the office sooner than us. And even in Europe, we're starting to see this, you know, in North America, we have probably the longer commutes and most of us live in single family homes, you know, bigger houses outside of the central business district. So it's been easier, I think, in the US for a certain generation. Not everybody falls into that. And not everybody is well suited to work from home. Listen, if, if you're ADHD and you might be one of these individuals that you need confirmation, you need direction, you need people to keep you focused, you might tend to procrastinate if you're given the opportunity to do so. Um, it can be a real struggle. If you're one of these people that needs that social interaction and that reinforcement, being isolated and alone or working remotely can be really detrimental to you. And so I, I just find it fascinating that we so quickly realized that remote learning was a disaster for our children and put them back probably two years academically and more than that, socially. But we haven't equated that to young professionals that are coming into the workplace who don't understand maybe the social dynamics or the cues or how things work. They haven't built that, that uh, network. They don't have that social capital. And they need maybe just to kind of even just be in the room just to kind of see how things are happening, et cetera, or how do people handle certain situations. And it, I think it's really having an impact that will cost us for years to come. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And I think that it's it's too easy to to. I think that what a lot of organizations and a lot of individuals want is a decision. You know, they want clarity. Um, how are we going to do this? Let's decide now and then let's get on with doing the work. And one of the things that I like that you talked about earlier was we're constantly needing to test. We don't know how this is going to play out. We don't really know how it's how work is going to look in 5, 10, 15 years. We couldn't really have anticipated we'd be here now. So how on earth can we know what it's going to look like and how it needs to look differently for different organizations and different people? But I, I wonder, even though we're in that testing phase, whether you have some sense of what might be different, what we might have embraced that maybe we are a bit resistant to embracing at the moment. Let's say in five years' time, what might be different? I, I think right now we're not necessarily thinking about the consequences of some of the decisions that we're, we're making. Um, you know, a lot of people haven't necessarily thought about the long-term ramifications of not necessarily being present. Um, there are a lot of people that are saying, well, this is great for, for you know, minorities or people that are, are disabled because they don't have to go to the office and they, or they don't have to deal with uh, microaggressions. Well, you're not dealing with the problem, you're avoiding the problem and that's not solving it. And it's actually almost encouraging it to continue to happen because you've just removed yourself from it. So you're allowing it. And, and I think those are things that will come back and bite us. Uh, you know, the fact that more women and more minorities are asking to work remotely um, because of those things, yet we want, we're living in a time where we want them more in, you know, embedded into our organizations and proximity bias exists. And I don't think most companies have done the work to really ensure that people that are working remotely are getting the professional development, the training, the consideration, the involvement, um, the leverage, the, the, uh, the visibility 
the people that are coming to the office are getting. And that I think is gonna have ramifications down the line. Um, I think that we need to think about um, some of the lessons that we've learned from past experiments where companies started to become very siloed. You started to have res employee resentment on resentment. If I work for a manager that tells me I have to be in, you do the same job and you're in a different department and your manager says you can work from home, I'm probably going to be annoyed. Even if I want to come, it's just not fair, right? And so those inequities start to bubble up and start to cause problems. Or if I have to go to a meeting because you're not in the office that day and your client calls a meeting and now I have to cover for you, you know, those kinds of things are going to come up and they create resentments that literally have been a major factor in derailing every remote program we have seen in the last 20 years. There are some that can handle it. And, and when the ones that handle it are the ones that almost everybody is remote. So you're all equal. But this hybrid, hybrid is the hardest thing to pull off. And in some cases, it can absolutely be the worst of both. And we need to make sure that it isn't the worst of both. Mm, yeah. What are you um, most excited about? about the future of how we work and where we work? What gets you, gets you really excited? I think that we have an opportunity right now to rethink everything. And we have an opportunity to really say, it's not just about the workplace, it's about how we work. And to really understand that, that people are living longer. They are working longer. They are accessible 24 hours a day. There is a high demand and maybe not necessarily all the guarantees that make them feel as safe as they could be, especially in the US. And I think that people are pushing back because they need some kind of balance. And we have an opportunity to really address that right now. And I think um, not only is it just about making the workplaces better, we have clients that now really truly understand the value of that. You know, I've been a practicing designer for 38 years. I cannot tell you how excited I am that everybody is talking about the importance of the workplace or, or the quality of, you know, the, the quality and the impact that it has. But I'm also very excited that we're realizing that there are other options and other solutions and we need to think more holistically. Wonderful. Kate, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. I hope it sparks lots and lots of ideas in uh, whoever's listening. Thank you.